as we continue our evening series in the book of Leviticus. We'll be in Leviticus chapter 8 this evening. This chapter describes for us the historical account of the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests in the Mosaic economy. Leviticus chapter 8, Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and wash them with water. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. He then placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim. He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near and clothed them with tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took the blood, and with his finger put some of it around on the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around on the altar. When he had cut the ram into its pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet in smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near 
And Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around on the altar. He took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. From the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and placed them on the portions of fat on the right thigh. He then put all these in the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and offered them up in smoke on the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord. Moses also took the breast and presented it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and eat it there together with the bread, which is in the basket of of the ordination offering, just as I commanded it, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The remainder of the flesh and the bread you shall burn in the fire. You shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period for your ordination is fulfilled, for he will ordain you through seven days. The Lord has commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you will not die. For I, for so I have been commanded." Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded Moses. Now the chapter before us obviously describes the consecration of Aaron and his sons as the priests. And what, what I'd like to do this evening is, is to, to walk through the chapter and look at, look at the several different facets of things that are going on here. And then uh, at the end we'll try to wrap up by drawing out two, uh, two bigger observations. And so... The actions that were performed here in Leviticus chapter 8 and are related here by way of history correspond to the commandments that were given by the Lord to Moses for the occasion of the ordination of the priests in Exodus 29. The commandments are given, Exodus 29, those commands are carried out here in Leviticus chapter 8. Now, we're not going to read Exodus 29, but if you want to lay out Exodus 29 side by side with Leviticus 8 here, you'll see a a nice correspondence between the command and the obedience to the command in those two chapters. Moses says here in verse 5, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. And then in what follows, he did what had been commanded Earlier, And therefore that refrain is completely appropriate, which you may have heard. We see it in verse 9, verse 13, verse 17, verse 21, and verse 29. At the end of all of those verses is the refrain, just as the Lord 
commanded Moses. The Lord commanded, Exodus 29, Moses did it right here. Now this is largely the story of Moses that we find in Scripture. Moses was an obedient man, a godly man. We know that he didn't perfectly obey, and that's the reason, of course, why he did not get to go into the promised land. But nevertheless, he was a faithful man. There's a reason, then, why the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, 5, that Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. And we, we see a picture of that here, the faithfulness of Moses as a servant in God's house as he meticulously obeys here in Leviticus 8, that which was commanded by the Lord on Mount Sinai in Exodus 29. Now then, what are, the, what are the aspects of this consecration? What all was involved? Well, first in verses 6 through 9, we see that Aaron and his sons were washed with water and clothed in their priestly garments. The washing with water was to cleanse and was symbolic of the spiritual purity which was to characterize the priest. Exodus chapter 30, verses 19 through 21 specified that the priests were to wash their hands and feet in the bronze laver when they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar to minister. So anytime they went in to minister, they were to wash their hands and their feet. They were to do so so that they would not die. It's been said that cleanliness is next to godliness. And certainly we do see here in the Old Testament that cleanliness symbolizes godliness. And indeed, this is picked up in the New Testament as well. And so Titus chapter 3 speaks of the, the washing of regeneration, which occurs to us as believers. And so we read likewise in Ephesians 5.26 of the, the sanctification which Christ brings to his church, to his bride, the, the washing of water with the word. And this, of course, is, is symbolized in baptism. And obviously the, the water of baptism does not take away sins, but it does symbolize that those in Christ, those trusting him, have their sins washed away. And this is why Ananias said to Paul, as Paul recounted it in Acts twenty two sixteen, get up and be baptized, washing away your sins. Not that the water takes away the sins, nothing of the sort, but the water symbolizes that the sins are taken away, taken away by faith in Christ. Now, it's not clear to me, at least, uh, what the manner of the washing was here, whether they just washed their hands and their feet or whether their entire bodies were plunged. But nevertheless, they were to wash when they came uh, to this, this ordination. And they were to wash their hands and feet every time they entered the tabernacle to minister. And after the washing, they were to be clothed. There was the tunic and the sash. There was the, the robe and the ephod. And Aaron was, was girded with that ephod and the artistic band of the ephod. And then the breast piece was placed on it with the urim and the thummim. And the turban was placed on Aaron's head with that golden plate there at its front. Now the ephod as prescribed in the law was, was a tunic without sleeves and made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, as you find in Exodus 28. Attached to this tunic was the, the breast plate or the, the breast piece containing 12 stones, of course, representing the 12 tribes. 
And in the breastplate, there was also a place in which the, the Urim and the Thummim were kept. So we read in Exodus 28, verse 30, You shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord, and Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And we find in 1 Samuel 23, 9 and following, and 1 Samuel 30, verses 7 and 8, that, they, that the ephod was used to inquire of the Lord. In those places in 1 Samuel, we find David calling on, on Abiathar, the priest, to, to bring him the ephod. And what David was wanting to do was to inquire of the Lord. This is how the ephod was used, was a way by which to inquire of the Lord. Of course, Aaron had that turban that was given to him, and the golden plate was fastened on the front of that turban, and it was engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord. And we're told in Exodus 28, 38, It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, in, in these several things, I think we see something of the mediatory nature of the priesthood. Obviously, the priest is the one who is performing the sacrifices. But the high priest also bore the names of the tribes of Israel before the Lord. He wore this, this golden plate on his turban so that the holy gifts of the sons of Israel would be accepted before the Lord. He was a mediator. He was doing this so that the sons of Israel themselves would be accepted before the Lord. And he was the mouth of God to the people. So we find in Malachi 2.7 that the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. And men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And he was also, in addition to being the voice of God to the people, he was also, as it were, the voice of the people to God by means of his intercession for them, by means of the sacrifices that he offered for them. And even though elders, overseers, pastors in the New Testament church are not priests in the sacrificial sense that the Aaronic priesthood was, there's a correspondence between the two in that the New Testament ministry is a ministry of the word and prayer, as we find in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. The lips of pastors, in other words, ought to preserve knowledge. And they ought to convey faithful instruction from the Lord to his people. And this is why we find that an overseer must be apt to teach, 1 Timothy 3, 2. We find that he must be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict, Titus 1, verse 9. And likewise, he ought to be interceding in prayer for those who are entrusted to his care. And so we certainly don't want to conflate the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament ministry of pastors, elders, overseers in the church but neither must we completely dissociate them either. They're not entirely the same, but they're not completely different either. Now, beginning in verse 10, we see how Moses took the, the anointing oil and anointed the, the tabernacle and its furnishings, uh, thus consecrating them. This anointing uh, was that which is described in, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 and 23, was the, uh, the description of the oil. This was an oil that was made specifically for this purpose, and no one of the Israelites was allowed to mix any 
thing like it. They were not allowed to use the same proportions to mix together an oil to use for, for some other secular purpose, some common purpose, as it were. This was a special oil that was to be used to set apart Aaron and to consecrate him as high priest. The anointing oil was, was poured out over his head, and this was a, was a wonderful thing. This is so wonderful, in fact, that this is the image used in Psalm 133 to depict the beauty of the situation of brothers dwelling together in unity. The psalmist says, It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. And so Aaron has this anointed oil poured over him, and it, it drips down. And this is represented by the psalmist as a, as a wonderful thing. This is what it's like when brothers dwell together in unity. And just to underscore here the difference between Aaron and his sons, or in other words, the difference between the high priest and the, the regular priesthood, as it were, I think it is instructive to note the difference between the anointing of Aaron here that is, uh, that is described here um, in uh, verse 12, where the anointing oil is, is poured on Aaron's head. And, and then to compare that to the, the broader consecration picture where we see Aaron and his sons and their garments being consecrated down in verse 30. Now in verse 12, the oil is poured on Aaron's head, but in the, the later more broad consecration that takes place with Aaron and his sons and both of their garments, the oil is, is merely sprinkled or could also be translated spattered or spurted on them and their garments. There's a, there is a difference here in the, the ritual for the anointing of the high priest. And this is why earlier, as we saw when we were back in chapter 4 of Leviticus, chapter 4, verse 16, speaks of the high priest as the anointed priest. The, the anointed priest, and we see that. Very few occasions where that occurs in the Old Testament. This is talking about the high priest, not just, not just any priest. And thus it is that our anointed one, or our Christ, is not simply a priest, but he's a high priest. He is our anointed one. Certainly we see the, the physical anointing by Mary in the, in the Gospels just before, uh, just before the Passion Week as Mary anoints Jesus. And we find in, in uh, Mark chapter 11 that she poured the oil on his head. We find in John chapter 12 that it got to his feet as well. Christ is the anointed one. And I think we need to, to step back, though, and think, what, is it, what does it mean that Christ is the anointed one? What was the anointing here pointing to? It wasn't just simply the fact that oil is poured on the head, but what was, what was that a picture of? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 1, what do we find that, but that John the Baptist said that it was told to him that the one upon whom he saw the Spirit descending and remaining, this would be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This would be the Christ. This would be the anointed one. The Spirit descended on Christ and remained on him. He is truly the anointed one. And after Aaron was anointed, his sons were clothed, we're told in the text, with tunics and sashes and caps, None of them being the high priest, they did not wear the, the ephod or the, the high priestly turban with the gold plate that we considered earlier. 
According to Exodus 28.40, the tunic, the sash, and the cap for Aaron's sons were for glory and for beauty. And then after this, as the chapter continues, comes the sacrifices. There's the one bull and the two rams. The, the bull is offered there in verses 14 through 17 for a sin offering. And this is offered in accordance with the law for sin offerings that was found back in Leviticus chapter 4. Aaron and his sons, in order to serve as priests, needed a sin offering. Why? Well, quite simply because they were sinners. Indeed, it was just a reasonably short time prior to the event of this ordination. During that period of 40 days when Moses was on Mount Sinai, between the period of Exodus 24 and Exodus 32, that Aaron had led the people of Israel into a grievous idolatry. Remember the golden calf. The people had said to Aaron, Come and make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man brought us up from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And instead of Aaron acting the priestly role, interceding to God for the people, that they would stop this foolish notion of idolatry, and being the mouth of God to the people, proclaiming to them the Ten Commandments, proclaiming to them that they were to have no other God before the Lord, Aaron instead said, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. They did. And then he, we are told, took from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. Aaron then built an altar before this calf and made a proclamation, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And then when Moses asked him, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron just punted. And he blamed the people for being prone to evil. He said that they threw the gold into the fire and poof, out came this calf. What do you know? Very strange how that works. And yet, this same man, a short time later, wasn't able to track down chronologically exactly how far it was, but... Within a year, maybe a matter of a few months, he is now the high priest. He was a sinner. Hence, he needed a sin offering. The second offering here was the, the ram for the burnt offering. That's described in verses 18 through 21. Having their sin dealt with by this bull of the sin offering, Aaron and his sons are now free to, to worship the Lord through the whole burnt offering of this ram, which goes up as a soothing aroma before the Lord, we're told in verse 21. And then thirdly comes the ordination offering, which was a ram like the the previous burnt offering. There was one bull for the sin offering and then two rams, one for the burnt offering, one for the ordination offering. In this case, the ram was slaughtered and its blood was applied to the the right earlobe, the right Uh, the thumb of the right hand, and the toe, the big toe of the right foot. And this was done first to Aaron and then to his sons. The remarks of Matthew Poole, I think, are worth considering in regard to this law. He said, These parts are consecrated in the name and stead of all the rest, the ear as the instrument of hearing and receiving the mind and will of God in all their sacred administrations and in their whole conversation, the hand and foot 
as the instruments of action and execution of that which they hear and understand to be the mind of God. And the right parts are chosen rather than the left as being usually more vigorous and expeditious. And all these parts are sprinkled with this blood to show the absolute necessity of Christ's blood to qualify them for an accessible, an acceptable and successful discharge of their office. And then after this was done, the blood was sprinkled on the altar, as seen in verse 24. After this, the portions of fat from the ordination ram, along with the unleavened bread, which was in the basket, and the unleavened cake, and the unleavened cake uh, mixed with oil, the one wafer, along with the right thigh of the ram, these were placed in the hands of Aaron and his sons uh, to be presented as as a wave offering before the Lord. We don't know exactly what this means. There's various speculations as to, as to how this was done, but it seems that it was, that it was held up and uh, perhaps moved in, in some way before the Lord. And so these were presented as a, as a wave offering, as seen in, in verse 26. And, and then they were, they were waved before the Lord, and then they were burned on the altar of burnt offering as an ordination offering. The breast of the offering belonged to Moses. He was to present the breast as a wave offering to the Lord, and then that portion belonged to him, as seen in verse 29. And if you, if you think about what's actually happening here with, with Moses taking the lead, offering the sacrifices, performing the ritual on the priests, and him receiving the, the breast of the ordination offering, if you take this and you compare it with what we've seen earlier in the book of Leviticus, what we see here is that, that Moses is functionally serving as a priest here. In regard to the, the peace offerings, Leviticus 7.34 uh, specifies that the, the breast of the peace offering was to belong to the priest. And so here in this case, the fact that, that Moses is the one doing this and that Moses is the one who receives the, the, the breast indicates that, that he is the one who is offering, is uh, functioning as a priest. And indeed, Psalm 99 verse 6 tells us that Moses and Aaron were among his priests. And then if you look to to what's occurring there in verse 31, where Aaron and his sons are to to boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and to eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of the ordination, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. Aaron and his sons are functioning here according to the laity's role in the, the peace offerings. You remember in the peace offerings, the, the fat was burned to the Lord. As we see here in the ordination offering, the, the breast and the right thigh of the peace offerings belong to the priest, just as the breast here belonged to Moses. And similarly, the, the laity were to have a, a fellowship meal with the offering that they brought, just as Aaron and his sons are to eat of this ordination offering. Anything which was not consumed that day was to be burned with fire. And then for seven days they were not to go out of the doorway of the tent of meeting until that seven-day period for their ordination was accomplished. And they were to remain there on pain of death, according to verse 35. This was the institution of the Levitical priesthood for the nation of Israel. This was an extremely serious, solemn occasion. Now, having walked through the chapter and seen its salient features, I want to 
draw your attention to two things. First, and more briefly, and we've touched on this briefly already, but we see here that God receives sinners into his service. God receives sinners into his servants. As Christians, we believe the forgiveness of sins, that those who repent and believe are forgiven. It may seem strange to us that Aaron, a man who had shortly before capitulated to the idolatrous whims of the nation, should now be ordained as the high priest. In other words, as the chief one to represent the nation to God. But so it was. Again, Psalm 99 is instructive here. Psalm 99.8. You were a forgiving God to them. It's just talking about Moses and Aaron having been among his priests. It also mentions Samuel. And then Psalm 99, verse 8. You were a forgiving God to them, yet an avenger of their evil deeds. What a testimony to the grace and forgiveness of God. Likewise, it was no doubt a strange thing to the early Christians as the book of Acts testifies that Saul the persecutor was changed into a man who began preaching the faith that he had once tried to destroy with violence. But so it was. What a testimony to the grace of God. And so it is also with each one of us in Christ. Perhaps our sins are not as glaring or as noteworthy as those of Aaron or of Paul. Maybe we don't have the the glittering golden calf of idolatry and the altar that we have fashioned before it. Maybe we don't have the painful memories of violence in which we have tried to persecute the believers in Christ. But nevertheless, each and every one of our sins are damnable in themselves, and every one of us would be condemned but for the forgiveness and grace of God, which was foreshadowed here in the Old Testament times and fulfilled in Christ. And so let the consecration of a sinner, the consecration of Aaron as high priest, reminds you that God uses sinners in his kingdom. God uses sinners to accomplish his purposes. And let it serve as a reminder of the blessed truth that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. We're not what we once were. Praise be to God. And secondly, allow this ordination ceremony, the inducting of sinful men into the priesthood, to point you to an infinitely better high priest. Now, while we can and should be thankful that sins are forgiven and that God uses sinners to accomplish his purposes, he, uh, I think we can all recognize here that there's something in this picture of Aaron consecrated as high priest. There's something that doesn't seem quite right. Right? We know that certainly Aaron was the man that God had chosen to be high priest, but don't we all have this certain gnawing sense within us that says, surely this is not the pinnacle of the priesthood, is it? Well, indeed, this is not the pinnacle of the priesthood. We might almost liken the situation to that feeling that we have within us when, say, a politician that we voted for is elected to office and does some helpful things that we can appreciate, but at the same time, We know the flaws and the failures of this man, and we think, really? Really? Is this this the best that we could do? Does it not get any better than this? On the one hand, we might be thankful that such a politician is in office. We might be thankful for the good things that he or she might do. 
We just wish that there was someone actually better in that place. We wish that there was someone there who wouldn't say those things that make us cringe. We wish that there was someone there who doesn't have the past that this person has. We want someone who's not going to just bungle along and drop the ball. Well, I'm no prophet about earthly politics. The situation that I have described might be as good as earthly politics gets uh, before the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But, thanks be to God, this is not the situation in regard to the priesthood. And Hebrews 7 makes this abundantly clear for us. And so we read in Hebrews 7.11 that if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, or on the basis of it, people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not designated according to the order of Aaron? got a better, better priest coming, one who is according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron. We find again Hebrews 7, 18 and following, For on the one hand there is the setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, But he, with an oath, through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more, also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And again he says, For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, everything that Aaron was not, we have it now in Jesus who does not need daily like those priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law, the law that we've seen fulfilled here in Leviticus 8, the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Brothers and sisters, we can praise God that the incongruities and the imperfections of the Levitical priesthood have been dealt with once and for all. Again, the writer to the Hebrews said it best. He said, now the main point of what, we, what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Again, the, the ascension, as our brother Peter was talking about, this is a, an essential doctrine. He has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord has pitched, and not man. It's Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. So let your hearts rejoice and rest in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for a great reminder of the the frailty and the temporary nature of the law. Lord, we are thankful that, that the Mosaic administration and economy of things was indeed instituted by you, but we are thankful that it is not the permanent order of things, that these were merely temporary, pointing ahead to our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we do have such a high priest as him, who is such a one as we need. 
holy, undefiled, separated from sinners, yet of one blood with us so as to be both sacrificed and priest, our mediator, intercessor, our advocate. Father, we give thanks to you. We pray that you would encourage our hearts and strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.